0: parents and children, uh, or students really, grades four through seven, and that th- those years that are so difficult for young people to have to grow through, they're changing so much uh, mentally and socially and physically, and sometimes communication breaks down between parent and child, and they're hearing and learning all these different things from their friends and from school, and uh, we just became convicted that there was a void in that, Uh, about what God's teaching and and what the church has to say about that phase in their lives. And so this conference, almost a teenager, um, came about February 24th, 25th. We're bringing in a guest clinician from New Orleans Seminary named Alan Jackson, who was the premier youth professor uh, in, in our Baptist seminaries, and he's an expert in this field and in this area for our students. So we hope if you have someone in your family, a child, a grandchild, Grades four through seven, or you work with those children, or um, you just want to understand them better and what they're going through and and how we can help them grow God's way and be pure in mind and body. February 24th, 25th, it's a Friday evening, Saturday morning conference, and we hope that you'll consider coming. And if, if that doesn't apply to you, but you still want to see these children learn, there are some folks who need to come but perhaps can't afford the conference fees, and you may want to help. Uh, scholarship some of those students. So however you can plug in, I know it would be appreciated. And we just want to get our, our students started off through those years and into their teen years walking close with the Lord. The word cross comes
1: up in our language in various ways. We talk about being cross ways with somebody or, or coming to a crossroads in our life. It even uh, occurs in its derivatives, such as getting to the crux of the matter. And it all goes back to a turning point in history where the cross made a difference, the cross on which our Savior died. Will you stand together as we sing when I survey the wondrous cross, the wonderful cross? Please stand.
0: You know this is Super Bowl Sunday and I couldn't help but reflect the similarities between today and another Super Bowl that occurred over 2,000 years ago on a mountain called Calvary. There was a contest between God and Satan. Satan thought he had won. He didn't know it, but God took it into overtime and it was sudden death. And when Jesus was raised from the cross three days later, God pronounced Satan's death. He just doesn't know it yet. But we're acting and we're living in the truth of that statement and in the worship of our God and victorious Savior, Jesus Christ. Shall we bow together? Our Father, we thank you that 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross, Satan celebrated a victory. But it was short-lived because three days later Jesus rose from the dead and conquered death and it lost its sting for all time and Satan was defeated. He's just living now, awaiting the final, the ultimate outcome. Thrashing around, hoping to inflict pain and suffering on as many as possible, taking them down with him. But we have a victorious Savior to whom we cling and from whom we draw our strength this day. So God, help us hear and respond to your message. Where there is sin among us, help us turn and repent and draw near to you and find you awaiting us with open arms, welcoming us home. Remove the doubts, the distractions, the fears, and awaken our hearts to your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be seated.
2: Again, good morning and welcome to First Baptist Church. Uh, It's my response... Uh, I'm glad to welcome you this morning, and and we have a tradition here at First Baptist. In just a moment, our ushers are going to come down the aisle as they're moving right now, I believe. They're going to come down, and we're going to uh, stand in a moment and greet those around us. But if you're our guest, if you would please remain seated so they could hand you something that could allow you to tell us who you are and how we might uh, get to know you better. Uh, members, if you'd help me by standing and greeting those around you, please. Hi, I'm Wayne Whittle, disciple of Jesus Christ, member of First Baptist Church here in Tifton, Georgia. And we'd love to have you come join us this morning. I invite you, no, I encourage you to come be with us on Sunday morning. But I'd submit to you that there are three components to our relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ His Son. The first is worship. It says in the Bible that Jesus was a church gourd. you know that? In Luke chapter 4 verse 16 he says, He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. If Jesus saw it fit to come to church, maybe we should too make it a matter of importance. The second component is discipleship. After all, it wasn't Jesus and the 12 dudes, it was Jesus and the 12 disciples. Remember the familiar verse, Matthew 28, 19, he said, therefore go and make disciples. There's nothing like being in a small group discussion like Sunday school class where you're sharing with one another, praying for one another. There's one thing we all have in common, and that's challenges or problems. The third component is service. You know, the moment that you get saved, God equips you as a believer with spiritual gifts, all to provide ministry, to edify Him. So if you're missing either one of those, worship, discipleship, or service, I'd submit to you that you're not living up to that abundant life that Jesus promises. We'd love to have you come join us. Visit our website at fbctipton.org or give us a call. We've got someone standing by. If you need prayer or if you'd like more information, It's 382-6063. We hope to see you Sunday. we got a chair waiting on you.
0: I'm so glad to see you in God's house today. And we are here to worship Him because He is our God and we love Him. And can you all hear me okay? And uh, we just want to tell Him how much we love Him and and show that by being here and, and worshiping Him today. Ying Ying's here today and she brought the Happy Club bag and I'm so glad that she did and i'm going to open it up and see what she brought all right come on down and have a seat all right yingying i'm going to need some help here this is it looks like piglet and that's some sand what can you tell me about it i got it at the festival you got it at a festival what what festival some oh festival it's uh It's like a bottle of green sand, and it's all mixed together, and there's a picture of piglet. y'all know from Winnie the Pooh Oh, did you put that picture on, or did they pick they put it on? Oh, did you make this? Oh, did you have different kinds of sand and put it together? Can y'all hear me all right? All right, so this is like a bottle of sand with a picture of piglet on it. I'm not sure I can get anything from piglet, but what it what it reminds me of is there are different kinds of sand, and it, this reminds me of the church, boys and girls, because, look, there's different colors, green and purple and some, some um, pink sand and white sand and uh, all different kinds red. of... Uh, red, yeah, thank you for spotting that. <laughs> all different kinds of colors, but you put it in a bottle and it mixes together and it makes a beautiful final color. Can you see how pretty that is? And that's the way we are at church. We come from different places and different backgrounds, but, but God puts us all together and we blend together. And when we worship him, it's a pleasing and wonderful sight for him to hear and see. So I I just love, love the Lord. And I know that y'all are here too. And we come from different countries and different backgrounds and different walks of life. But God puts us all together just like this bottle that reminds me of the sand that comes together. And Once it comes together, we can't separate it anymore because it's all in there combined up together and it's just a beautiful color. And piglet is on the front just to remind us how happy everybody is when they worship God. So let's pray right now and thank God for bringing us all together like this bottle of sand that Ying Ying made. All right, I'll pray. Dear God. Thank you for bringing us all together and putting us together in this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. I know you made that and you're proud of that. So thank you for sharing that with us, Ying Ying. Ms. Sabina, it's a boy's turn, isn't it? Yes, David. Where's David? Behind you. Ah! You sneaking up behind me, David. All right, take that bag home and, and, and bring something special back next week.
3: Oh, yeah. He's a father uh-huh. to the fatherless. Oh, yeah. He'll be joy uh-huh. in your sorrow. Oh, yeah. he will be hope, uh-huh. hope for tomorrow. Oh, yeah. He is able, He's yes, able he is able to, to carry Able. Able. He was Daniel, oh, stone rolling. Oh yeah. Ezekiel, oh, wielded burning. Oh, yeah. He was Moses, push a burden. He was Solomon's oh, rose of Sharon. Oh, yeah.
4: And he is
3: able. He's yes, able he is able
4: to carry.
3: God is able, loves may gather all around you. All so dark, so dark and save.
1: sharing with us. Psalm 119.89 says, Lord, your word is forever. It is firmly fixed in heaven. We sang first about the cross, and now we're talking about the foundations of our faith. Will you stand together as we sing, How Firm a Foundation.
5: us pray. Our most gracious and loving and kind Heavenly Father, we so humbly bow before you this morning in praise and adoration. And Father, we stand on that firm foundation that you have given us because of the awesome gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we were so unworthy, but yet you loved us even before uh, we knew you that we had a need, and God, we just thank you for the needs that you meet for us each day. You pour out your blessings upon us and just bless us in ways far beyond our imagination. Lord, we just uh, are so privileged to have the privilege of coming uh, today and bringing our tithes and our offerings uh, to you. Lord, we thank you that through these tithes and offerings we are able to share in what you're doing here in Tifton and around the world. And Father, as we bring our tithes and our offerings, Lord, we also bring our time and our talents. God, we pray that you would guide our days. Lord, that you would burden our hearts for those many people in Tifton and not, and around the world, but especially those that we Uh, walk with every day. Father, we pray that you would burden our hearts to reach out to them, and Father, that we might take the message of Jesus Christ to them, that they might have eternal life. Father, we just um, pray your blessings upon this offering this morning. We commit it to you, and thank you, for the privilege of serving you each day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
0: Such a, such a beautiful anthem. Thank you so much, choir. Thank you. I wanted to, to give you a word of explanation before we begin about last Sunday. Um, Susan and I received word of the passing of a dear friend of ours in our former church in South Carolina. And uh, they, they lived across the road from us when Catherine was born and adopted her and became surrogate grandparents to her. And Parents to us and visit us every Christmas, come here for the uh, Christmas Eve service and um, are here Christmas Day celebrating with us and then returning home to Marion, South Carolina. He passed away Wednesday a week ago, so uh, Friday I picked up Catherine and Susan and we went to South Carolina and uh, officiated in the funeral on Saturday and returned to Georgia on Sunday. And I'm appreciative to Chess for so graciously jumping in at the last minute um, and doing such a wonderful job and the relationship with him that makes that possible, that we enjoy. And it was good to go back to my former church and and renew those ties. Um, I love those people and I love that church. Uh, But coming to Tifton uh, just makes me appreciate you as well. And so it's good to be back with you today to worship God together. We're in the prophets in our Preaching tour of the Bible, the Minor Prophets, or so they're called, the book of Joel. And I'm going to read from Joel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 12 and 14. The sermon's entitled The Hope of Repentance, and there's a cursory outline in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. Hopefully, you'll be able to. (laughs) Joel 2, 1 and 2, and 12 and 14. I'm enjoying preaching through the Bible because I I can't remember the last time I preached from Joel or Obadiah or Zephaniah. We're going to get into some of those. Joel 2, 1 says, "'Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness.'" Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has never been from of old, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. Skip to verse 12. Yet, this is, this is the crux. Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and repents of evil. Who knows whether he will not turn and repent and leave a blessing behind him, a cereal offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. So this is Joel's message. Return to me with all your heart, fasting, weeping, mourning, rend your hearts and not your garments. Apparently, The children of Israel had done a good job of superficial worship, everything on the exterior, going through all the outer motions, but their hearts were hard and cold and unchanged. It's an opportunity for Joel to preach the truth and give them a chance to respond. And that's our purpose here this morning. Will you bow with me? Father, as we come here today, help us not just rend our garments and go through the outward motions for show and posing. But Father, open our hearts and touch us and rend us from top to bottom and draw us closer to you. Where there is sin, Lord, help us find repentance and forgiveness. And we praise you that the hope for that exists as long as we have breath. Help us make it count. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, two weeks ago, with the book of Hosea, we ventured into that section of the Old Testament called the Minor Prophets. The Minor Prophets is composed of 12 books from Hosea to the end of the Old Testament, the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi. And they're called the Minor Prophets not because they were written by folks 18 years of age or younger and not because they were unimportant or insignificant in any way. These 12 books are called Minor Prophets because most of them are shorter. They have 10 chapters or less unlike Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, those longer prophets. So today and then over the next 10 weeks, we'll be looking at these shorter books, which are included in our scriptures today because even though they might be minor prophets, they convey a major message that we need to hear, more so today perhaps than ever before. I want to start today by talking a little bit about the relationship that God had with Israel because you have to understand that in order to understand how it became severed. Do You remember in the beginning of the Old Testament, God in his mercy and grace saw fit to enter into a relationship with the children of Israel, with the Jewish people. And he promised them a land flowing with milk and honey and And our archaeologists tell us that 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, Palestine was a naturally beautiful and productive and abundant land with a wide variety of plants and vegetables and fruits. It was, indeed, the land flowing with milk and honey. And so God entered into a covenant, an agreement, a relationship with the Jewish people through Abraham. And he renewed it through Isaac and Joseph and Jacob But there were terms to that agreement, and those terms were that God would be faithful and he would bless Israel, give them a land of their own, protect them from their enemies, grant them victory over their oppressors, and bless their land with abundant produce. That's all that God would do for his people and then some. But Israel had responsibilities too. Their part of the agreement was to honor God not enter into idolatry and keep and honor his commandments. So God raises up as the children are in slavery in Egypt, Moses and others, the children of Israel are praying about God. We're in relationship with you. Please come and free us. And God raises up Moses to lead the children of Israel to the promised land, out of Egypt in bondage and slavery and into the promised land. And Along the way, he gives Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, which became the the very basic moral expectations placed upon the Israelites as their part of the covenant agreement. And Israel prospered as a nation. As long as they adhered to the agreement, the covenant relationship they had with God, God watched over them and protected them and provided for them and blessed them. And Israel wanted kings, and so there was Saul and there was David, and, and Israel progressed and, and reached a high water mark under the rule of King David. They called it their golden age. But unfortunately, as all relationships, this one soon spoiled. Following David was Solomon. And Solomon had peace during his reign, and he kept the kingdom together, even though there was a, a wide area that he was, for which he was responsible. He added beauty and culture. He embarked on a tremendous building program. The temple was constructed during Solomon's reign. These were the, the zenith years, the very peak of Israel's days. Solomon, though, as wise as he was, made one fatal mistake, He started marrying daughters of neighboring monarchs in order to forge political alliances. And they were, God had prohibited them from marrying people from outside their nation. Why? It wasn't because God was racist. It was because God knew that when you marry people from outside your faith, they bring their religion in with them. And that's exactly what happened. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines and They brought their religions in from their own land, and Solomon tolerated it, and idolatry was reintroduced into Israel. Strange religious rituals began to sweep through the hearts of his people and lure them away from the worship of the one true God. And they began worshiping these idols that these foreign princesses had brought into Israel, and everything pretty much spiraled downward. From there. And this is where God sends His prophets Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Jeremiah. And the message that we're going to see over and over again throughout these prophets is that God is trying, trying to call His people back to Him, to renewed faithfulness to the covenant, the relationship they had. And as I mentioned two weeks ago, the prophets weren't necessarily folks who predicted the future so much as telling the present as it really is. And they stood up and they preached boldly about the sins of the people and begged them to uphold the covenant and return to God. And so you'll hear these verses over and over again. I'm just going to share a smattering with you. Jeremiah 24 7. Listen to the common theme that runs throughout the prophets. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return to me with their whole heart. They shall return to me. Hosea begs in chapter six, verse one. Come, let us return to the Lord for he has torn that he may heal us. He has stricken and he will bind us up. Once again, Hosea says, let us return to the Lord. We hadn't gotten to Malachi yet, but listen to 3, 7. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of God, are not consumed. Verse 7, from the days of your fathers, listen, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Do you hear the recurring theme right here in our own passage? Verse 12, return to me with all your heart, fasting, weeping, mourning, rend your hearts and not your garments. Over and over again, the message of the prophets is to return, return, return. And every time the Israelites were convicted of their sin and confessed it and returned to God, it was a happy time. I say happy because that was the end result. There were Throughout the process of returning, there was some difficulty and and tears and humility. But when they got to God, it was a happy return, the end result. Joel says, return with all your heart. The specific occasion, the precipitating event that brought about Joel's message, this is interesting. He talks about it in chapter 1. Was a horde of locusts that had come through the land. When you think of Joel, associate that with locusts. This is what he says in chapter 1, verse 4. matter of fact, right before that, he says, Tell your children, your grandchildren, your grandchildren to another generation. This is what happened. Verse 4 of chapter 1. When the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. What the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. Do you got a sense? Do you have a sense that... uh, Locusts came through and pretty much devastated the entire land. That's what happened. Locusts were kind of like grasshoppers. And thankfully, we don't have hordes that come through our nation as such today. But when they did, they eat every piece of vegetation, and it looks like a fire has swept through, only there are no ashes. It is devastating. On down, Joel says, Be confounded, verse 11, O tillers of the soil. Wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, the harvest of the field has perished. The vine withers, the fig tree languishes, pomegranate, palm, apple, all the trees of the field are withered. Gladness fails from the sons of men. So, one of the important features of the book of Joel is that it reminds us that physical disaster usually accompanies moral disintegration. Let me say that again. What goes on on the inside, if your heart is separate from God, if if it is morally disintegrating, there will be physical disasters happening around you because I think the two are related. In other words, how we relate to God, how we live in our relationship with Him, influences our earthly joys and sorrows. And our relationship with God impacts how we treat people and the things, how we treat the things around us. Those two go together because we're all part of God's creation and we cannot run from God on the inside and it not affect us on the outside. True repentance brings not only proper alignment between us and God, but it also improves the relationship we have with the world around us because the same God who rules the world in which we live rules our souls, and the two are interconnected. I've tried to think of an illustration to help you understand what I'm talking about here. Have you ever seen the pictures of a house where, like a drug addict or a junkie or, or an alcoholic lives? It's pretty much a waste. Is it, is it clean or is it filthy? Of course, it's a wreck, just like the life of the one who lives inside of it is. In other words, what's on the outside is a reflection of what's on the inside. And if our lives are askew on the inside, we're not going to care about what's around us, about our environment, about our world. When we're at odds with God, everything is, is off kilter. And we can really care less about our environment. Here's another example. On our mission trip to Nicaragua several years ago, i noticed the whole it was a dark spiritual spiritually dark country and i noticed all around me was trash was just littered i mean it's like garbage just on the streets in the in the alleys in the neighborhoods whenever people got through with something they just threw it down and it bothered me and i asked the missionary out there i said does anybody ever clean this up does anybody ever pick up does anybody try to improve the environment here in nicaragua he said yeah he said that happens but Overnight, it's just right back where we started. People just don't respect the world in which they live because they have no relationship with the God who created them and created the world. Because we're part of God's creation. And when we're out of fellowship with him, it affects his creation. And for Joel, it was locusts who came through and left behind a skeleton of a nation. And for us, it's our environment, it's how we treat it, it's how well we take care of ourselves. And it's a reflection of our relationship with our Creator. Everything is impacted. It's not just us, it's our family, it's our friends, it's our world. But I don't want to end on a sad note here. If you read between the lines of the text... Also, over and over again in the prophets, you find that God hasn't given up on us or on the children of Israel. You'll see his heartbeat. You'll hear it because he longs for the return of his people. Verse 13, return to the Lord your God for he is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding with steadfast love. What a great verse. You know, there are two big lies that Satan has been propagating ever since the Garden of Eden, and you'll hear these often in the marketplace. The first lie is that God is mean and vindictive, and he's a spoil sport whose main job in life is to keep us from being fulfilled and happy. And, and if he sees somebody enjoying themselves, when we step out of bounds, supposedly, then he delights in inflicting suffering and pain upon us. That's one lie, that God is mean and he doesn't want his people to be happy. The second lie is that God really doesn't care about what we do. He probably isn't even aware of it. And if he is, it's his business to forgive us. So no matter what we do, no matter what we think, no matter what we believe, he'll forgive us anyway, no matter what. The truth is that most religions Most heresies, actually, err on one side or the other, one extreme. And most of us probably lean to one side or the other. really doesn't matter what I think or believe or how I live because God's going to forgive me. We don't really know what God is like, and if he does know, he doesn't care. But he probably doesn't know. And the other side of that extreme is that we live in constant fear. Believing that God is mean and vindictive, and the last thing He wants for us is our happiness. Do you see how those two lies have, have filtered their way down and, and have uh, influenced a lot of folks in how they look at God and believe in God? But our scriptures clearly remind us that both of these are lies, that God does know us, He loves us, and He cares. And that he longs for the return of his children who have wandered far away from him. That point is made even clearer in the New Testament in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15 where you have the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Jesus is saying that God is like the shepherd who has 99 sheep in the fold and yet he leaves them and goes looking for the one who has gone astray. God is like the woman who has ten coins and loses one of them and she will not rest until she turns her house upside down and finds it. God is like the father of the prodigal son who rejoices and throws a party when his wandering son comes back home. Can you feel the heartbeat of God in that? He does not force himself. He does not coerce us, but he invites us. He beckons us and he stands at the door of our hearts and knocks, but he will not kick the door in. We have to open the door from the inside and invite him in. So we have an important decision to make. It's more than just important. I wish there were an adjective. It, it is crucial. It is critical, a decision that will impact us forever. Do we want a relationship with God or not? In 1973, a man by the name of Gary Kildall, K-I-L-D-A-L-L. Does anybody know who that is? I'm not surprised. Gary Kildall wrote the first popular operating system for personal computers. He called it CPM. It's a CPM operating system, and I actually bought a computer in 1983 and wrote my dissertation on it in the CPM operating system And it's virtually worthless now, the the operating system, not the dissertation. According to one of the writers, I didn't know this, in 1980, IBM executives approached Kildall about using his operating system for IBM PCs. But Kildall snubbed the IBM officials, he skipped the meeting, and the day they came, he actually went out, and flew a new airplane he had just bought. So the frustrated IBM executive, snubbed by Gary Kildil, turned to a young guy by the name of Bill Gates, founder of a small software company called Microsoft. And his operating system was called MS-DOS. Fourteen years later, Bill Gates became the, one of the wealthiest men in the world, $8 billion. Today I looked it up, $56 billion. Kildall, who has since died, was a smart guy who did not realize how big the operating system market was going to be. So it sounds like Kildall made a bad decision, going out and flying his plane instead of meeting IBM executives that day. And it cost him. It cost him dearly. He had no idea how important that day would be how crucial that decision was going to be. But let me tell you something, friends. Kildall's decision doesn't compare, begin to compare to the importance of the decision that you and I will face when it comes to eternity. God comes knocking on our doors, just like IBM came knocking on Kildall's door. And he's asking for a decision. So hear me in this. Our time on earth, I don't care if it's a if it's hundred years or more. When you compare that to eternity, it is a blink of the eye. It is, it is a snap of the fingers. It is a dot on a line that extends forever and ever. And the decisions we make in this microscopic window of opportunity will affect us forever. And that decision is no minor thing. It is the difference between heaven and hell. So please, I beg you, I plead with you, choose wisely, choose Jesus and obey him today. Repenting, like Joel was calling his people, turning away from their idols and their sins and turning back to the one true God. And having a relationship with him that begins now and brings joy now and lasts forever and ever. Shall we pray? Father, I know Joel must have been frustrated preaching to a people who had turned their backs on God. Their necks had gotten stiff, their hearts had grown hardened. And they would not turn and they would not repent. And so God sent a horde of locusts to remind them that he was in control of everything. And so for a while, they cried out and were forgiven. And then once again, they turned away from God and they cried out and were forgiven. And once again, they turned away over and over again. And so today, God is offering that choice to each of us to turn and repent of our sins and invite Him into our heart as Lord and Savior or continuing our quest for other gods. Not little golden idols to worship, but things that we focus on. Things that occupy our time and our energy and our emotions that are not from Him or of Him. So God, this day we repent and we come home. Thank you for welcoming us with open arms. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Our invitational hymn this evening is number. This morning is number three hundred and nine. Lord, I'm coming home. If you need to profess your faith, rededicate your life, or join this church, this moment is all we are promised. This moment is all that's guaranteed. Don't, don't tarry, don't postpone it, don't linger. Emma Cargill came upon profession of faith in our early service this morning, inviting Jesus into her life. Maybe you need to do that today. Please choose Jesus as we stand and sing 309. I'll be at the front to receive you as you come. Thank you. morning miss kayla lang kayla come stand with me please kayla comes today letting you know that she has invited jesus into her heart she came to see me this week and actually it was sunday night a week ago i think january 22nd that she prayed to receive jesus into her heart and and she knows when she did that that he came in